Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. A couple of things uh, just happening. Uh, Brandon mentioned uh, Ukraine uh, uh, in his prayer today. Also, there's stuff going on in Canada, too. How many of you know what's going on in Canada? Uh, good, good. Um, stuff going on in Australia as well, and I'm sure there's other countries. Um, I think what stands out to us uh, when it comes to Canada and Australia is they're supposed to be um, like us, right? And free, free countries. And uh, they're not free countries. And uh, might be coming to a city uh, soon near us. And so we should keep our eyes on it and as well pray for uh, God's people in various places that you would know, uh, churches. Uh, I have a friend who's a, a pastor in Toronto, and I wonder how that's affecting him. Um, we prayed for Pastor Coates in Edmonton, and uh, wonder how that's affecting them and other believers up there. Uh, I, I just want to just be mindful, just be mindful. Um, I think for a, a long, long time, and maybe since, you know, you, you learned about this last week, uh, that that governments are evil. Maybe you just learned that last week. I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I, think, I think we have a tough time getting our head around that, right? Uh, that, um, that governments can be evil. And, and why? Uh, well, we've been studying it, right? Uh, we're going to go over it again today. Uh, the heart of man is evil. Uh, and if they get to work that out, left on their own, what's going to happen? Evil things. Uh, I want to tell you something else uh, going on this week. Uh, there's a school board meeting on Tuesday, I believe. It's a Zoom meeting, whatever that means. Um, no, we're really meeting together on the interwebs, really. Um, and I'd encourage you to, to pray about that. Uh, many of you know Tracy uh, Kelly. He's part of our church. Uh, he's a school board member. And other pray for the other school board members. They're going to be talking about the mask mandate at schools, um, and, uh, you know, this last week, uh, some of our students have participated in a, a mask rebellion, uh, and uh, I just want to encourage you, as you think about these things for the days ahead and the future, is to just try to think in, in terms of uh, what's right and wrong, and then get on that side, and then don't make these things personal, but know that that's where the side that you want to be on is the side that's right in the eyes of God, not right in the eyes of man. And so, uh, you know, these things are uh, coming to our own home here, our own little city up in the mountains. Um, I, I would tell you, too, that masks, uh, the big setup, it's not, it's not that big of a deal, a mask in and of itself, but vac- vaccine mandates will follow. They will follow. I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet, but uh, um, I just know that the way uh, people, or the way the world's going. So anyways, um, just be thinking those things through. Who should make decisions like that? I think it should be the parents, uh, especially the ones who birthed that child. Uh, I'll just leave it there. So anyways, uh, you can be thinking about those things this week and participating. I want to encourage you to participate uh, as God would lead you. Romans chapter 2, um, <clears throat> we are, uh, we're, we're talking about today uh, human nature. And do you understand human nature? Uh, do you understand the heart of man? Uh, I, I think uh, we struggle, I, I was sure with some people before the service, that, 
that as I watch the news, I, I struggle to understand what's happening in the world. Like, I can see pictures and videos and hear comments. I, I can hear that. I can understand that. But it, to understand truly what's going on, I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss. Uh, I often say, what in the world is going on? Um, and I, I think most of you are with me there, right? You, you watch things, you hear things, and you say, what is going on in our world? And then uh, as I switch focus to the things that are going on in my own heart, my family, I go, what is going on? Why are we thinking this way? Why are we doing this? And uh, the, the, it, it's all the same. It's all the same. Do you understand the human heart is all the same? Uh, and as Jeremiah said, it's desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And for us, uh, I, I want to encourage you to think that way. Uh, we, in the chapter 1 of the book of Romans, and chapter 2 as well, we're understanding the heart of man. But we're not understanding fully the heart of man. We're just understanding its wickedness, the heart of man. And I, I want to encourage you. I don't that's not a really, uh, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but I want to encourage you, it's you. It's your heart as well. It's good for you to get there. I, I know it's uh, easy to watch the news and fold your arms and go, oh, those wicked people. And to look, you know, at your, your neighbors or your coworkers, those wicked people. And to know that the human heart is the same in its desperation. Um. It's easy, I mentioned it last week, but I wanted to reiterate it because uh, when I was talking to one of my staff members, he wasn't, he didn't get it. So I wanted to reiterate it. I didn't explain it well enough last week. Sometimes we look at the human heart and we say, oh, they're not human. I, I can just write them off as they're not human anymore. Maybe they're transhuman. They're part man, part something else. Uh, or maybe they're an alien, or maybe, uh, you know, they're, they're an animal. Like, we, we like to write people off. But know this, that the Word of God describes the human heart as more wicked than we can understand. And what you're seeing when you, when you feel that, that they're not human, is you're seeing a greater depth of the human heart than you're used to seeing or you're comfortable acknowledging. So let's review. Uh, and actually, let's read and then pray and then we'll review. Okay, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you the first five verses of God's word. God's word says this, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Uh, everyone who, who, of you who judges, uh, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you... Uh, the judge practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet uh, do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that uh, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard, impotent heart, 
you're storing up wrath for your uh, for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God, we ask your blessing on your word as we study it now, as we look into it. Uh, God, help us to see clearly who you are, who we are, and the only uh, way to right relationship. God, do your work in your church today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And, and also, how great it is that our kids are at camp right now. Uh, what an amazing thing. And I, I just want to encourage you to uh, be mindful of uh, our next generations and what God is doing. Um, be excited about that and to participate in that as God uh, has you in that phase of life. A review. Uh, if you look back to chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed. The wrath of God is revealed, and, and it's the anger of God. It's the anger of God on sinful man. And we struggle with that because the idea of God being angry and not loving uh, is hard for us to grasp. But as we look at this, these sections, I would say, multiple, it's talking about the wrath of God, that God is angry. And, and you look at the passage and you say, well, who's he angry against? What is he angry about? Uh, he goes on to say about all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And then uh, you go farther, it's a rejection of God. And then you go farther, uh, many times uh, exemplified in homosexuality and other sexual sin. And then it, it ends up the chapter 1 and talking about these lists. I think there's 21 of them. Of, there's one right after the other of all the sins, the wickedness of men. And you look at this and you, you say... Oh, so God is angry against the sinful. Against those who are dirtied by their own sin, God has anger towards. And so we get this fixed in our mind that, that man is sinful and God looks upon sin and in a way that he doesn't look upon sin. He, he deems them guilty and deserving of punishment. And what we're going to see here, I'll just tell you where we're going with this. In chapter 1, you see the dirty. And in chapter 2, you really see the self-righteous. And when I say self-righteous, uh, you, you hear that word righteous and you go, oh, righteous is good. And self, you, know, you mean like I'm doing it myself. You know, in our world today, the, the idea of self-sufficient is always a good thing, it seems like, right? It's the idea that I can take care of myself. And the idea of righteousness, that I can do right by myself, shouldn't that be a good thing? Well, it, it would be a good thing. It would be a good thing if you could be righteous on your own. The book of Romans is going to teach us that we cannot be righteous on our own. And so to be self-righteous, to be self-righteous, is the idea of living in a fantasy land. It's not in touch with reality. And you say, well, what's going on around? Yeah, but more importantly, what's going on in your own heart? Who you are, the self-identification. It's kind of like a, a little guy would be at the surprise box wearing a, a cape and running around the house and saying, I'm Superman. I can fly. And for those of you who are older, faster than a speeding bullet, right? You don't know that reference. I'm sorry for you. 
faster than a speeding bullet. Um, it, it's living in a dream world. It's living in a dream world. Self-righteousness is living in a dream world. And so th- this morning as we look at this, we're going to see in Romans 1, uh, we're going to put these all together, the, the dirty, evil sin that's obvious to all, the filthy but also connecting it with those who are self-righteous. And some have seen this as a transition from the Gentile world, chapter 1, to the Jews in chapter 2. Um, he does identify the Jews later, but he hasn't in these past, this section that we're going to handle today. So I, I see this as a transition, but it doesn't really matter uh, because the Jews are sinners in, like in chapter 1 and they're self-righteous that aren't Jews that uh, could struggle with these same things of thinking themselves good apart from Jesus uh, like chapter 2. Anyways, verse 1 we're going to see our guilt. And, uh, but before I move on, I, I skipped over something. R- remember last couple weeks we've been looking at where does sin leave us? And not just where does sin leave us, but where does God leave us? On our own. On our own. If you reject God, if you say, I'll do it my own way, I don't care, I'm my own God, or I'm going to listen to someone else, there's this handing over, this leaving to ourselves and our own devices that God does. And I I want to remind you that that's a dangerous place for all of us. Any one of us here. It's not something that's just a, a temptation for one of us or a group of us here today. For any of us, the idea that we would be left on our own without God, um, it's kind of like one of these little ones once again. Uh, what would happen if mom and dad just left them on their own at home? Um, I knew a man uh, when, he was, when he was young. He... Uh, he lived with his dad, and his dad left him alone quite a bit, and he uh, decided he was going to make himself dinner. So he went, and he took some money, and he went and got uh, some cheap steak at the grocery store down the road, and as he came home, he tried to cook it on the stove. He didn't know how to cook, and he lit the house on fire. Um, this is the kind of troubles that come to us as we think about uh, what it is to be left on our own without our God caring for us. Uh, there's no place we want to be, not for us, not for our uh, children as well, and grandkids, great-grandkids. And if any of you are great-great, that too. So this morning we're going to look at our guilt. First one, God's Word says this, Therefore you have no excuse. And, and this is a huge uh, concept uh, that you, you need to get from chapter 1. Remember in chapter 1, it was God made himself clear in creation. He makes himself clear that, that, that man is without excuse. And so he goes through this and he says, uh, you know about God, you know enough about God to know that you shouldn't be sinning, yet you do, God leaves you out on your own and you go and accomplish these sins and, and fall into these different sins. And, and what happens to that? Because God has shown himself, verse 1, therefore you have no excuse. And I I want you to get this, that all people, all people, another big theme of the book of Romans, all people are guilty of sin. All people are guilty of sin. And are sinners 
and are without excuse. The, 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 idea, the, the idea of having an excuse, you, you guys know about excuses. It, um, we're good Americans and we have excuses for everything. Uh, if you have siblings, uh, you even have people to blame. But the idea that uh, what I did, there's an excuse for it. I, I shouldn't be held accountable. I, I shouldn't be punished for what I have done because I have an excuse. In this passage, it makes it clear over and over again that mankind, each one of us, is sinful without excuse. Without excuse. Which brings us to us being guilty. Guilty. Therefore, uh, you, you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges. And now he brings up kind of a new concept. Therefore, you are without excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges. And he brings up a new uh, problem or a new sin, the judgment of others. W- what do you do when you're guilty? What do you do when you're guilty? She did it too. If you have older siblings, well, they did it first, right? And I was just following in their footsteps. They're actually the guilty one. And so there's, there's guilt here, but there's judgment or pointing the finger out there. Uh, he says, in your guilt, you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Judgment of others. Um, now, I, I don't want to move on too quickly on this. You're just judging me. You're just judging me. Um, be careful. Be careful that... Uh, so, um, th- this is not a passage. This is not a passage where... So, if... You're a sinner, you're a sinner, and you say, oh, but you're a sinner. Uh, Another commercial? You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Wouldn't you like to be a sinner too? I can't even remember what that is. Is it Dr. Pepper? Thank you. I guess I did, you know. I was properly marketed to as a child. Um. There's this idea that misery loves company and uh, the idea that the majority rules. And if we're all in the same boat, I guess it doesn't matter. I want to tell you that you have to do the math on this. You have to look at the scripture and and put it together. That, That sinners who reject God or rejecters of God, uh, the sin that comes out, they're on their own. They're under God's wrath, okay? And just because uh, we have the majority of us are under God's wrath should comfort none of us. It, it, It doesn't take the heat off us individually if we say, oh, you're a sinner when I'm a sinner. The judgment of others and the idea of judging others, he says, really, you condemn yourself. You condemn yourself. When you point out others' sin in a judgmental way, you condemn yourself. Why? It says at the end of verse 1, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now, this is the picture of self-righteousness, okay? 
you, you think about uh, how many times you have people, most of the time public figures, because we don't know about others, but we see the hypocrisy in our own families, right? We, we see those who are willing to constantly talk about others and how they're not doing right and how they're, they're sinning in one way or the other, how they have a bad marriage and they aren't raising their kids right and the school and our neighbors and these people. And, and we're more than willing to point out somebody else's, but maybe behind closed doors in our own home, the very things are going on. Happens all the time, and we get shocked by it, right? Uh, but once we do an autopsy later, right, we, we don't get that confused, right? We're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. They were more than willing to always do this. They were, they were good at pointing others' faults. They, they pointed them out all the time. Uh, one who is judgmental, there's probably something behind closed doors, behind the curtain, Right? There's something going on. And much of the judgment comes from you don't want to see what's going on behind the curtain. And we don't want you to look. It's interesting how this uh, happens. Like the, the picture here is not outward sin. It's hidden sin. And hidden sin can happen two ways. It can just be hidden, right? Hidden at home or hidden in private where, you know, don't talk about that, you know. It's hidden in some way at home or behind closed doors, in the dark. Or it is hidden in your heart. It's hidden in your heart. Both of which are still sin. Both of which are still sin. And so, so what you get in this first verse is a connection to the previous passage We are not uh, excused for our sin. We have no excuse. We knew there was a God. We know that we're sinning. We know that being left on our own, we have done what we shouldn't have done. And now we judge others and even that condemns ourselves. Why? Uh, It brings us to the place where we are all guilty. And if we're all guilty, we are all in the need of saving. We are all, all of us. And I, and I want to be a church like that. I want to be a church that, that acknowledges that often, okay? Uh, who needs salvation through Jesus Christ? I do. You do. We all do. And so as we look at a sinful world, it's not a sinful world where uh, we have to be the pointer-outers all the time. But as we acknowledge the sin of the world... We acknowledge ourselves to be sinners and the need for the one Savior, Jesus Christ. So we see our guilt. We see our guilt. Verse 2, we see God's right judgment. I wrote down righteous first, but I want you to see right, okay? Because some of you are too familiar with the word righteous, but... His correct or right judgment. Verse 2, we know that the the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. What are the such things? Well, it's the stuff of verse chapter 1. But it's also the stuff of chapter 1 that people don't know about. But it's also the stuff of chapter 1 that is simply in our hearts that nobody can see but God. But God. 
And so what does it say that God is a righteous judge or a right judge? He, he is accurate. Now, um, how many of you, some of the high schoolers and middle schoolers have gone this week, how many of you parents have, um, have had unjust judgments against your kids? And do your kids remind you of that? Mine do. Mind you, there's certain things and times and places where, you know, it's usually like family gatherings, birthday parties, you know, Thanksgiving time, uh, where they remind us of days and times and instances where we didn't have the whole story and we punished incorrectly. And, And so... Even, even our judicial system here in the United States, there's a sense that that is built in, right? We would rather let someone off the hook than um, judge them incorrectly, right? And so sometimes we, as we think about this, we're looking for the loophole, right? Uh, all of us are lawyers in our hearts. And, and the idea that somehow we didn't deserve what we got, that we shouldn't be disciplined or, or brought to justice. But in verse 2 in, in the book of Romans, it, uh, methodically, God gives us through the Apostle Paul, he gives us the truth. The truth. The truth about what? Truth about our hearts. Who we are before a holy God. And what does it say in verse 2? We know that the judgment of God, remember he's talking about his wrath, now his judgment, the judgment of God, rightly falls on those who practice such things. The judgment of God comes on those who practice sin. It's not a big deal. We'll forget about it. We'll just write it off, right? No, that's not what God is saying. He says, the sins of man will be judged, will be taken care of. Not in a sense of just forgotten about, but the idea that it will be paid for. The perpetrator will pay for the sins that they've committed. But this is what I want you to get in verse 2. It says it rightly falls. It rightly falls. The, the, the picture here is this, that uh, the, God showed himself in enough way that man should know not to sin, man says, I don't want to follow you, God. I don't want to know you. So I push you away. I'm left on my own. Sin follows. Sin follows. Man is guilty. Man is guilty. God is uh, the judge who comes, and his judgment is proper. It's right. It fits. Most of the time we love the idea of justice except when it comes to ourself, right? We love to see justice except for when it comes to ourselves, for what we have done. In verse 2, it tells us that the deserving of judgment receive judgment. And it rightly falls on those who practice these things. This is God's righteous judgment. He is doing what is right. I think often we we like to, um, in our minds, get mad at God. <laughs> Say, you shouldn't have done that. You, you shouldn't have allowed any bad things to happen in my life. But we forget 
who we are apart from Jesus, and we forget that he is right, and we are deserving of any penalties that we would get, okay? So there's a guilty man, and there's a a God who has right judgment. Thirdly, thirdly, we come to verses 3 through 5, and it's an appeal to the guilty. And I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. Sometimes as a pastor, you get super excited about things and and you're not sure they're going to be as great as you really are excited in your heart. You're not sure it's going to come out as good. In these verses, I think there's a key for living for us, like a key, like something that you can grab hold of that can change your life today and really put you on a, a new course for the future. Okay, I realize that's, that's a big advertisement right there, huh? Uh, but I, I really believe it. I, I'm excited to share this with you. In questioning, in questioning, question form, uh, Paul, inspired by God, I always say that, and I, I want you to know what I mean by that, okay? This is God's word. This is God's word to you, to you. Um, there's a few steps in the middle there, okay? God inspired the Apostle Paul to write this. The Holy Spirit himself inspired Paul to write this down. It's not like uh, Paul, like, you know, went into a trance and his, you know, fingers went on the keyboard and it just started typing. And, like, it wasn't like that. It was Paul writing to the Romans a letter that he thought that they needed. It wasn't just that he thought it. It's that God... uh, made sure that he wrote the right thing so that the Romans would know, but also, as it's preserved, that we would know. The uh, Bear Valley churchers would know, Bear Valleyans, okay? Uh, I don't know how that would be. Anyways, um, what was I talking about? Three through five, three through five. Look at it. This is such good stuff. This is so important. And he he turns to this group of people. Who Who is this group of people? Guilty people. And maybe transitioned from not just the outwardly guilty, but the religious guilty people. The religious guilty people who think they're great, who are pointing fingers at others, yet privately involved in all kinds of sin, if not behind the curtain in their own hearts. But listen to this. What does he say? He's going to question them. He's going to ask them some questions that are meant to take their heart on a journey away from where they are to the place God wants them to be. Verse 3. Do you suppose, O man, that guilty man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? First question. Will you escape? Will you escape? Um, so sometimes we think uh, that God's judgment is, is, is like the cops showing up on a crime scene. And there's, there's a bunch of people, a bunch of guilty people, and people are running everywhere. And, and there's one guy uh, with a knife and blood all over himself and in his hand, and he's like screaming and mad. And, he goes, and they go, we're going to grab that one. He's the most guilty. But everyone's guilty, and you say, well, I grabbed this one, and I grabbed this one, and this one, and I, okay, we're all full right now. We don't have room for anybody else. 
And so the, those of you who seemingly are good people and just you happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong or right time or whatever, however you say that, uh, that you will somehow escape. We don't have enough room to judge everybody. That's the thinking of us sometimes. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. You know? We love being into Hatchaby. We go, oh, those people. You know, they're two gates away, right? <laughs> one for us, one for them, you know. Uh, they're bad, bad people over there. I want to tell you, guilty people on this side of the gate, guilty people on that side of the gate, guilty people in between, guilty people. As you think about this, and, and you, you're getting this in your mind, do you have think that you will escape somehow that your sins are not as bad as somebody else's sins. Do you think you'll escape? If you do, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're guilty in need of a Savior. Maybe... You need to say it this way. Will you escape the judgment of God? But maybe, are you good enough? Are you good enough? Apart from Jesus, are you good enough? Are you clean enough? Are you, can you be deemed not guilty? Many times in our minds, we try to comfort ourselves with bad theology, with untruths. Say, I'm not like so-and-so. Because I haven't committed such and such. So I'm not guilty. Well, I might be a little guilty. Just not deserving of judgment. I want to tell you that's wrong. He asks that question. And then, then he asks a, a follow-up question. And he says this, uh, verse 3. Verse 3. Do you suppose, O oh man, I'm sorry, uh, verse 4. Verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of God, uh, I'm sorry, the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? This idea of presuming, uh, it's a a Greek word that uh, is hard for us to think through in our mind, but it's uh, presume or despise or reject uh, it, it really means to think little of, to think little of. And uh, picture yourself going to the store and, and you find yourself needy, find yourself needy. That's why we go to the store, unless some of you just go because it's fun. Some of you think I was talking about women. Some of you men, I've seen you in Home Depot just grazing, you know, grazing, right? You're just wandering around buying junk that you don't need. Now, this idea, if you can picture yourself uh, shopping and, and you look at something and you look at its price and you say, I don't need that. This is the picture. It, it, it's, it's the idea of, ah, oh, it's not worth it. I, I don't have time to stoop down and pick that up. And out of my resources and my time, I, I'm not going to depend on that. I'm just going to shove it aside. This is the picture. And, and, and what is it the picture of this rejection? What is this picture of this low grading, if you will? What is it? 
What is this rejection? Look at it. It's the rejection, verse 4, of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. Picture this in your mind. You go to the store. You're a needy person. And you see out of all the options, the things that you could grab, put your resources in, put your trust in, you see the kindness of the Lord, his forbearance and his patience. Let me talk about those words. First of all, it says riches of his kindness. I want to tell you there's an underlining there. It's an idea of accentuating or putting a spotlight on that his kindness is not a chintzy thing or a, a, a little bit, okay? It's, it's the lavish part. It's the idea of riches. It's poured out on you. It's the idea of being rich in whatever is talked about. What is it? His kindness is what you're rich in. And who is rich? Well, God is rich. And in relationship with him, you are rich because you've received his kindness. And when you you think of his kindness, it's his benefits. It's the idea of what do you have with God? When you have a relationship with God, what is it that comes to you? What is the benefit of knowing God? Psalm 103. Um, I thought of this, and I had to look it up. And I, Really, the Psalms uh, talks about this over and over again in different chapters and different ways. But, but it's, it's highlighting how great it is to know God. And, and really, I, I would even say more than that, Psalms, the book of Psalms, is talking about the mess of this world, whether it be the world or our own hearts, the mess of this world, and how the, us being in relationship with God is the answer to the mess of my own heart or the mess of this world. So anyways, um, going off today. Here we go. Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 1, it says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Why? Verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. What are the benefits of God? And, and, and not what are the benefits of God for everybody? What are the benefits of God for you? This is where the power comes from. This is where the transformation comes from. Uh, how, how come we don't have um, a holiday called complaining? Right? Some people do. I think they call it Festivus or something. like uh, Airing grievances. Uh, but uh, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. Why don't we have, like, work on complaining one day? Because we do that 364, right? Right? Uh, the idea of, of, uh, of thinking about what's wrong with my life and why I didn't get what I wanted to get, that, that's easy. But the danger is not that you're not complaining enough. The danger is that you forget God, His kindness towards you and me. 
Where could I be a mess? Is when I sit around and think, God, you haven't been very good to me, and my life's not that great, and not the way I wanted it, didn't turn out. We're to focus on, to think about the riches of his kindness, his benefits for us. There's three words here, uh, kindness, forbearance, patience. And really, kindness is kind of, he's going to come back to that. But to talk about the two other words, forbearance, is the idea of holding back, holding back. Um, God, uh, in his kindness, he has shown you forbearance. What does that mean? He has held back. He has held back. In our minds, we, people say this all the time, uh, and, and some people justify that they're a good sinner, and, and it's not that bad to God because it doesn't happen. What? I sin, and what should happen when I sin? Lightning bolts, right? If God really didn't like what I was doing, he could cause me to drop dead right now. So you, you must not think it's a big deal. Forbearance. He's holding back. He's holding back. Back. And, and, and as you look at this, as you look at your life, as you look at this world, do not see your sin and the sins of the world as God not caring about them, but as a display of his forbearance. He's holding back what you rightly deserve. That, that's a, a theme in these first couple of chapters. Sin happens. Man's guilty. He deserves punishment. God holds back. God holds back. So his kindness, his forbearance, and then his patience. Patience is the time frame, the duration, right? How long has God been patient with you? And, and it's interesting. We know about patience, right? If you've raised kids, you know about patience, Right? You say, as parents say, you're trying my patience right now. Or I've ran out of patience. I want to tell you that we have been trying God's patience from the get-go. Mankind, but us individually. And instead of God rejecting us as we sin, he shows us patience out of his own goodness. So you have his kindness, his forbearance, his patience. And then it tells us, uh, and these are the words that, that I want you to get. It's so, like, I say I want you to get that. I think it would be great for you to get. Because at the, in the middle of verse 4, it says this, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Repentance is a word for changing or agreeing with God about your sin in a, in a transforming sort of way. How do you give up sin? How do you change from your bad attitudes, whether your sins of the heart, sins behind the curtain, or sins out? How do you change from those sins? What's going to do the work in me? How can I change what I say, what I think, how I act? How can I be different? How can I truly be transformed? It's this. That we would dwell and know well the kindness of the Lord for us. 
Because that is the key to leading us to the place of repentance. It's super important. As you think about this, um, we all struggle in many ways. James tells us that. But the idea of us changing to be the people that God wants us to be, uh, it's that we would know well the riches of his kindness for us. We'll come back to that. Verse 5. And this is not, uh, he gives us in the midst of talking about the, uh, the judgment of man, the guilt of man. He gives us the key to uh, coming out of this, but, but the section is on our guilt and the punishment. Verse 5, but, but because of your hard and penitent heart, um, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the, uh, the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And it, it just he walks us through and, and really summarizes bad heart brings about the stored wrath. Why is the wrath stored? Do you know why the wrath is stored? Because forbearance, patience, right? If it wasn't stored, it would be immediate, immediate. It would be, um, you know, like touching an electric fence. You're not supposed to go over there. You touch it immediately. You know you have gone too far. His wrath, because we can't handle it, is being stored, is being stored, giving opportunity for repentance, 2 Peter 3. But our bad heart is storing up wrath, but one day uh, will come the righteous judgment of God. This wrath is storing up, this righteous judgment that will come, it will be revealed, and as we see glimpses of it described in the scripture, um, it will be more than terrifying. So this morning, I want to kind of tie up our time. And I just want to give you three things, because I always give you three things. First of all, for those of you who feel like you've done wicked things and you know it, I want to encourage you to do something. Consider, deeply consider, write it down, find the verses, study it, look uh, about the life of Jesus. Consider God's kindness forbearance and patience for you it's it's amazing it's amazing heavy you know as we sing we zach picked some great songs today for us to sing they're about those things our sin god's goodness to us giving us jesus giving us life forgiving us of sin if you have done wicked things and you know it consider god's kindness forbearance and patience for you number two if uh, you watch the wickedness of our world and think and think in your mind that you are not like them, but in your heart you are. Consider God's kindness, forbearance, and patience for you. Some of us here today are, are self-righteous. Self-righteous. Maybe that's hard for you to hear and see this morning. But I hope, I hope that you do see it. I hope that I see it. Places in my life where I think I'm better that I don't think I'm a sinner. I want to tell you, if you, if you, if you sense that in yourself, or maybe someone's told you, uh, I want to encourage you, the answer out of that is for you to think about God's kindness, His forbearance, His holding back, and His patience, His time patience with you. 
And lastly, for you to know this, that all that we've talked about this morning, this, this kindness, forbearance, and patience, know this, it's meant to lead you to repentance. It's meant to change you. If you're wondering how to get in right relationship with God, you feel like maybe you're saved, but you're floundering here today, I want to tell you, repentance is in order, in order. It's the, it's the answer. And you say, I can't get there. You get there by dwelling on how God has richly blessed you in his kindness, in his kindness. Well, one last thing I'll tell you this. Um, how do you lead someone to the Lord? Well, question if we do any of that, right? Well, how, do you, how should you share about Jesus with people who don't know? What should you tell them? Uh, God hates you. God hates you. He's angry with you. He's angry with you because you deserve it. I want to tell you, that's all part of the gospel. It's all part of the gospel. But the thing that's going to get them, the thing that God uses to drag people to the cross is what? His kindness. Don't argue with me. It's in the scripture. His kindness. And what does it do? It leads us to repentance. It leads us to a right relationship with him. God, thank you for this morning and the amazing truth in your word. God, do your work in us now in your church. Help us to be a church that is extending grace, the same grace that we've needed. Uh, God, help us to see ourselves clearly and the world clearly around us. And may we come to the conclusion that we all need your kindness displayed in your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.